Jake, are you done with your California roll yet? So we yeah. can start this episode. Like that's very funny, Jake. I mean, was there enough uh, vegan water options for you? Uh, enough alkaline water uh, available to you in I, I Manny know Cave? our mimosas in North Carolina aren't up to par with Beverly Hills Boulevard but are they at least like a solid C listen listen I do love California I, I love uh, being out there but there's nothing I love more than being here in Charlotte North Carolina with all you <laughs> dumb hicks <laughs> Oh, 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 is that a table shaking Fuck or is that an earthquake? That's <laughs> not funny. I am gen- yeah. I genuinely have PTSD from this shit. Yeah, good. We're happy. <laughs> we might have a bunch of racism, but we don't have earthquakes. <laughs> it is. Uh, John Tenta will kill me in my sleep one day. I'm, I'm ready for it. He'll kill us all in our sleep. All right. He, he, is, he is the candy man. If you say John Tenta, John Tenta, John Tenta, John Tenta. It's just fun to say. Just keep saying it in the mirror. Just, regardless if he shows up or not. We want then, him to show up. We definitely do. In this scene later, the doctor's like, it was just sleep apnea. He couldn't speak anymore. Well, it's time once again for everybody to come aboard the Manning Cave. I'm Nicolessa, and I know I ain't the only one. Are there any more podcasters up in this house? Is that a Soul Train parody? No, that's a fucking Godfather. (sighs) You know that problematic character that existed in the late 90s in WWE? Oh, that. But that was a ripoff of Soul Train, too, so that makes sense. You think everything's a ripoff of Soul Train. Look it up. Don Cornelius (laughs) had his fingers in a lot of pies, my friend. (laughs) And all y'all know that the man scout Jake Manning be making s'mores nationwide. I need you to roll up that sleeping bag to earn this merit badge. Pack that tent up and say, Camping ain't easy. <laughs> Camping <What>? ain't easy. <laughs> why why do I not have the free time that you have? <laughs> like that 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 is that is truly a signature of my failure of my career is I don't have the free time to think about All these, these years, things. Jake, and you never All came these, up with I'm, that. I have two shirts that are being printed as we speak Meh. right now that are based off of things that he said. <laughs> I spend so much of my time Googling like what are Boy Scout terms? <laughs> what are what are what are camping terms? <laughs> Nick, in his research, is now a, a, a wolf badge. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Just researching. is like, oh, shit, I'm like fourth level now, and I didn't even know it. And Spencer stares at you from across <laughs> the room or like shakes her what head. What the fuck are you Googling Boy Scouts? I, I don't know. It's not what you think. <laughs> All right. We are back for Mr. Perfect Part 2. Uh, where do we start? All right. Uh, you have the notes. Tell us. <laughs> So, uh, Mr. Perfect would make his return to television November 23rd, 1991 on an episode of Superstars where he became Ric Flair's executive consultant. In that role, he would take somewhat of a manager position, helping Rick win matches, and he was even there for both of Rick's title wins when you all had to pay homage to the man. I like how sometimes they get creatively around saying the word manager and... WWE and WWE, like, because yeah, yeah. Vince hates managers, obviously, and then somebody's like, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll trick Vince and we'll call him <laughs> like executive consultant," and he's just like, "Hmm, I don't hate that." <laughs> you know, like he's not, he doesn't love it, but he's like, "I'm not against that for whatever reason." I'm, I'm confused on what it is. Much like people are confused when I say medical facility instead of hospital, but regardless. And Vince doesn't say he hates it, and they run out of the room as fast as possible <laughs> before he can. Mm-hmm. 
Perfect also became a color commentator on Superstars, playing the foil to Vince, but by fall of 92, Perfect was planning on making a comeback, so the WWF bought out his insurance policy. Perfect and Flair were in the midst of a rivalry with Macho Man Randy Savage, building to a tag match at Survivor Series where Flair and Razor Ramon would face Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior. But Warrior was released from the WWF for doing them roids. So Macho asked Kurt to be his partner. This led to November 16th, 92's episode of Primetime Wrestling and a pretty damn epic promo from Mr. Perfect and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I hate to overhype stuff, but I watched this clip yesterday. It's on YouTube. Nick said it. Say it again. November 16th, 1992, Macho Man Randy Savage picks the perfect partner. It's an entire 32-minute clip. They've taken out all the matches, and it's just the in-between bits of this story. And like I said, I hate hyping stuff, but this is seriously probably now in my top 10 of just like wrestling moments, angles, segments. The way they pace this out, starting with Savage asking Perfect to be his partner and everybody laughing at him and Heenan laughing at him and Mr. Perfect laughing at him. And the way they build it through segments of Kurt getting a phone call from this mystery person that that Heenan's trying to figure it out to them trying to show how Heenan's been putting Kurt on the back burner. The way they build it up in between each one, and I think Hillbilly Jim's there and Vince is there and they're egging it on and they're sticking the knife in and twisting it. And then Savage comes back on and then Flair and Razor pop in. They're basically starting to talk down to him. It's like, you're our manager. You work for us. The way that Kurt sells himself through this and the Kurt's acting, I was seriously fucking blown away. Kurt doesn't say a lot through this, this whole thing. What he says means something because you can see him thinking about his possibilities you can see him truly acting in his face his body movements everything it's it it really uh, i try i I hate overhyping stuff because everybody's like expecting something amazing and then when it doesn't meet their expectations they shit on it so i hate doing that i usually like say oh this is pretty good you should check it out but maybe people don't watch it but i cannot recommend this enough i was legit blown the fuck away it's just, it's it's a masterpiece. It's just the acting. Flair, Razor, Vince, they are all on fire. They crush the shit out of this. And then that hate that uh, turns into at the end, Heenan smacks Perfect when he accepts Savage's invitation to be his tag partner. Perfect loses it, grabs Heenan. Heenan starts apologizing profusely. He's almost crying. He pours water all over his head. Just the anger, everything involved. You go from that at the end of the segment, Kurt does the the pin flip, laughing as it goes off the air. It is it is it is fucking poetry, as pretentious as that is. It is perfect, as stupid as that is. But then you go into the the Survivor Series '92 match, and it's just you feel that fucking heat. Survivor Series '92 will kick off with Bobby Heenan on commentary, cutting an emotional promo <laughs> about the perfect situation. Later. Perfect teamed up with Macho Man Randy Savage against Razor Ramon and Ric Flair, which is not a bad Rushmore of pro wrestling. Perfect starts the match with his old tag partner, Big Scott Hall, who for some reason now was Cuban. But uh, <laughs> Macho works the majority of this match. I assume they didn't want to like rush Mr. Perfect back in too fast and you know hurt his back again. It ends in a DQ because Flair wouldn't leave the ring which was kind of a lame ending for what was a really cool epic match. The ending is kind of meh, but it, it has a chaos and a craziness about it where just there's so much going on. We got two refs, 
you can feel the heat. Like I said, Heenan almost cries throughout some of his commentary because he's so fucking pissed. I just, I'm, I'm blown away by how much I was into this match based on the wrestling challenge segment. You, you, you felt everything in the wrestling challenge segment. Perfect taunted flair with a woo, and he does the woo throughout the match. It's little stuff like I mean, it's still a taunt, but you know when he fucked with him before, it meant it means more. And Flair is just out of his mind, pissed off. I I, I was I was legit. I went back to being like a ten year old kid watching the segment before and the Survivor Series match. I can't recommend this enough. Even after there's a weird promo. Flair and Razor are mad, but then Mr. Perfect does a promo with two full-size grocery-bought turkeys. Uh, he pulled them out of the wrapper and calls Flair and Razor turkeys, throws them on the floor, and then he picks up a small little chicken, and he calls it Heenan, and then he, and his gun smack thing, he smacks a full-grown chicken out <laughs> of the uh, camera lens. It's one of those things where I just I remember why I love this shit, and I remember how exciting it can be. And even in my late 30s i got goosebumps and was blown away so if i would have seen this when i was 10 i might have had a heart attack and died so thank god i didn't see it till now by january 93 the newly faced mr perfect made a full return he was hitting the house shows and is picking up tv wins against the berserker and our boy louis piccoli yeah as a continuation of his feud with rick flair on the second ever monday night raw January 18th of 93, Rick was having a match with El Matador, Tito Santana, when Perfect flies out of the back and starts welling on him. Uh, they get broken up by Sergeant Slaughter and WWF officials, go to commercial. When they come back, the fight still going on spills out of the locker room. So Rick eventually gets on the mic with Vince and challenges Mr. Perfect to a loser leaves WWF match next week on Raw, which Mr. Perfect accepts. That Sunday, Mr. Perfect would enter 93's Royal Rumble at number 10, getting in the ring and immediately going for Ric Flair. Uh, they pretty much fight each other the entire time until Perfect eliminates Ric Flair. He'd also toss out Skinner and Jerry Lawler before getting eliminated himself by the combination of Ted DiBiase, Coco Beware, and an angry, just-eliminated Lawler from the outside. Ugh. Following the Rumble on Raw number 3, January 25th, Perfect and Flair would settle their feud once and for all and definitely never wrestle again in a different company that we won't talk about later. This match, uh, it's kind of like the Bachwinkle match. It's 50-50, neither man really like getting control. Perfect takes one of the craziest goddamn corner bumps <laughs> I've ever seen. He flips like over the top. It was like a ring of honor bump. Uh, uh, he like turns upside down and you're yeah. like, oh god, no! Perfect eventually catches Flair in the perfect plex, thus ending his WWF career. And at the when it happens, Heenan flips out and they bleep him for five straight seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, beep. Yep, and Ric Flair leaves the WWF and honors that commitment forever and would never, <laughs> ever show his face ever again in the WWF. And when he says that he is done and his career is over, he most certainly will never come back. Now done with the Nature Boy, Perfect hit the house shows with the narcissist Lex Luger during the build to WrestleMania 9, and that's who he would face in Las Vegas. And if you remember, Bobby Heenan had been hyping up the narcissist as even more perfect than Mr. Perfect. Ugh. Sorry, Nick, it's the Lexorcist Lark Luger. <laughs> At uh, WrestleMania 9, they had a solid match, especially for a How Did This Get Book card. They end up in like, really this is. <laughs> backslide situation with Lex getting the pin. 
After which, Lex hits him with his fucking robot arm. Uh, Perfect (laughs) recovers and chases after Lex, who is backstage talking to Shawn Michaels. When Perfect attacks Lex, he gets sneak attacked by HBK, setting up a feud between the two of them. During this run with Sean, Kurt qualified for the first ever televised King of the Ring, having to wrestle Doink three times to do so. He'd beat Mr. Hughes at the pay-per-view, but lost to the eventual winner, Bret Hart. Which actually, the, the matches with, with Doink was to kind of get Kurt back into ring shape. And I guess okay. in a lot of the house shows, they were going to time limit draws just to kind of get yeah. right, you know, Kurt back into ring shape. Because that's, that's, that's something that I don't think a lot of people understand and even like indie wrestlers don't really understand as well there's like a different level of like obviously wrestling fan wrestling fans don't understand what ring shape is you can do all the cardio in the world be a fantastic athlete and get blown up right away Hmm. by wrestling by five minutes but something you might not understand especially like like someone at my level i'll wrestle twice a weekend three times a weekend um maybe three or four times a week sometimes or sometimes then sometimes it breaks down per month maybe i'm only wrestling eight to ten to twelve times now if you're contact wrestler you work for wwe you're wrestling you know three five times a week sometimes especially in this area of wwe you're working you know monday maybe even tuesday wednesday thursday friday you're out on the road a lot and you're wrestling house show matches and you're continually out there wrestling especially even think about territorial wrestling and how those guys will work seven days a week and yeah. that's a different level of ring shape as well that's a diff- and especially when you are wrestling in the wwf at that time that level of ring shape as opposed to getting the two a weekend or two indie bookings a weekend that's a different level of ring shape that you have to work your way into and just pushing the limit every single night and then wrestling somebody like matt Bourne that's going to push that out of him continually continually and get him to where they need him to be which is a main event level guy somebody who's going to wrestle 20 minutes or 30 minutes on the house show matches and do that on a regular basis that's like a different level of shape that they were trying to get kurt to and and kind of at the end of that loop when we got to the king of the ring people like we finally got mr perfect back that's what I think people just forget that Doink was a clown, but dude could work. <laughs> well, Matt Bourne could work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, Matt Bourne could work. When you're when you're smoking meth out of a light bulb, you can go all <laughs> night, goddammit. All right, deep dive nerd shit. I did it, so we're going to get in there. There's the promo at the beginning where Mean Gene basically plays an instigator and gets Kurt and Brett arguing about their dads, and Henning has the famous line of, your dad never beat my dad. Well... Thanks to CJ and Savannah on the Wrestling Classics message board, I know now Stu Hart didn't ever beat Larry the Axe because they never actually wrestled. Apparently, Larry was only in Stampede February 14th, 16th, and 21st in 1961, and he didn't even wrestle Stu. So when you watch that promo, just watch it with whole new eyes. Well, I mean... (laughs) To be fair, Stu was following Larry around going, hey, let me have you. Let me have you. Let me have you. Let me have you. I'm sorry, what, Stu? Grab it. Get a picture of Luther Lindsay. Only man ever to be before I leave. I'm going to go over here. Come over here. No, no, no. I got to eat. Let me have you. Let me have you. Let me have you. No, no, no. I'm going to go over here and eat and leave me alone. Please. No, no, that's my shirt. That's my shirt. Goddamn, love that fucking. Okay, okay. I'm locking myself in the bathroom and eating my sandwich. <laughs> Please get away from the door. Fucking piss it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kurt would head into SummerSlam 93 to cap off his run with Shawn Michaels. Shawn would be accompanied by your boy, Diesel, who would get involved in this match. Uh, Perfect catches Shawn with a perfect plex, but Diesel pulls him out of the ring before the three count. They fight on the outside. Diesel rams Kurt into the ring post, KOs him, getting him counted out. Jake, please explain why SummerSlam 91 is better, and feel free to go into full detail about how much better Bret Hart and Kurt Angle... Kurt, damn it! Ah, damn it! You had that whole thing going. And Phil- <laughs> go on. Do you want to start at the beginning? Or do you, or no, do you I think this is funny. No, no, no. This I is funny. We're keeping Jake, it in. Jake, please go and <laughs> feel free to go into full detail about how much better Bret Hart and Kurt Henning are than Shawn Michaels. Um. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> With your theory. Like I was saying before, and, I, and this is what I was alluding to as well, as good as Dynamite Kid and Kurt Hennig fit together, as we discussed in part one, part two, these are basically the same sides of the coin coming together. It's the same type of puzzle pieces. Like Shawn Michaels has made a career of making other people look good and doing the most ridiculous bumps, much in the same way that Kurt Hennig is. So it's you have two unselfish performers basically playing off each other and nobody's really the heater no the heel isn't a strong heel the baby face isn't looking like a strong baby face that can just beat anybody it's just two guys just trying to put each other over and that's basically what you have here and that's why when you have somebody as selfish as bret hart in the ring with somebody who's unselfish <laughs> it works so well together he buried so the lead. that's it. why mm. <laughs> um i would also uh, deep dive nerd stuff look up Mr. Perfect versus Shawn Michaels, dark, icy title match, oh, wrestling yeah. challenge taping, 4-5-93. They talk about how Kurt is a two-time IC title winner. Fuck that. He's a three-time Intercontinental Champion because there's a weird time. It's a, it's, it's a dark match. The video is time-coded. There's no commentary. Um, there's ref bumps with Fonzie and Earl Hebner. But Kurt pins... Shawn Michaels cleanly with the perfect plex gets awarded the belt and leaves the arena and nothing is explained or they don't announce anything. There's no commentary. It's like they were playing around with crowd reactions or it's one of the weirdest things where it's like that should be a legitimate win, but they just totally ignored it. Didn't do anything with it, but it's a really weird oddity. You should definitely check out much like in this is this time period where you had Lex Luger walk out with the, the winged Eagle WWF world title belt it just at a taping dark, just so Dave Meltzer can write an article about it <laughs> saying that Lex is definitely winning the belt at the next paper. Right, right, right. So it's just one of those things to fuck with people but also too like this is like right but right at about the time where the internet's not a big thing and they're still testing stuff out which is weird because like i don't think they tested stuff out in like the late 80s you know but at the same time too is a situation that tv's bigger and they're playing i think i think it's more of a situation of like the the houses are sold out every night and you know the house show business is a big deal where obviously the house show isn't as big a business anymore and the idea of concept of dark tapings and try this out and try i think they're they're experimenting a little bit more and it's one of those things like ah, there's not a lot of people watching right now so not a lot of people are going to see it but it, when the arena's fucking sold out for the show right. you don't want to like experiment you want to give them a good fucking show right, yeah, but where now that. it's kind of a dip right here and it's like a situation of like hmm Maybe we don't know what's working. Well, we need to figure something out. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to experiment. You're going to try things. But yeah, it's just interesting in a time where, you know, it's the idea of information's getting out there a little bit more that this is when you start experimenting, when you could have probably experimented in 
86 and right. nobody brought, nobody would have known except in that town but at the same time too you sold out that town so do you want to experiment or you want to deliver on your product i also had a question there's a spot in the SummerSlam match where sean attacks kurt's back and they worked the all things like oh well kurt used to have a back injury back in the day he's going after it and it seems like this happens a lot it's like why do they feel the need to go after like a shoot injury Instead of making it some other injury that won't really risk anything, is it just like good for the smarks or you can but they commit it's believable. I mean, yeah. I, and I, then also as a performer, like you can especially with me, like I, I have bad knees. You know, if we're gonna fake anything, it's gonna be faking that 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 knee injury. And then I know what it's like to be hobbled on that so I can get into that headspace, I can do a, an accurate portrayal of what it's like to have a bad knee because I know what it's hurt and I know how I walked around on it and I've already done like research and performance that I can You've method acted uh, method <laughs> I've method acted the shit out of this because it's a real fucking injury yeah. and if everybody knows that this was the injury and this was the injury and we go after it you know with everything every, everything has a degree of danger but also things have a high degree of safety in things that you do so you can you could tell that story a bit more accurately and then then also too if it's a situation if it's it's a kind of a hard shot or, or kind of a like a, a weird awkward landing on the knee yeah. people might question it and and like totally blanchard said all you need is five percent doubt to get, get them to believe that's all you need is just yeah. them to be like mm, uh, i know this <laughs> is all kind of i know this is all kind of set up but that looked real or yep. that way that was a little snug or he seemed very he seemed really mad right there no you nailed it because there's a moment where sean comes down on kurt's back and kurt does it honest shoot like damn it like the way he does is like it's that five percent where i'm like oh shit <laughs> and then sometimes even as the other performer that's done that and you've executed that move as safely as possible and the, and the performer does that type of sell it kind of f throws you off it does i've i've had that happen to me and i've done that to people before where <laughs> yeah. like i'll just be or like i'll take a, a fucking crazy bump and i'm like shit you know like and i don't know check on you right away and, like, and then the ref and it's always the fucking ref the ref <laughs> is always the biggest fucking mark in the fucking building he's always coming over squeezing my hand are you okay are you squeeze back squeeze back squeeze back if you're okay squeeze shut the fuck up i'm selling motherfucker i just got i'm i'm playing like i'm fucking knocked unconscious guess what i'm not squeezing your fucking hand do you grab van gogh's hand when he's trying to paint a fucking painting no you fuck don't off guess guess what i want you to think i'm fucking hurt throw that throw that fucking x up like a goddamn mark that you are Fuck off. Fuck off. I actually had a referee at the last uh I think it was I think it was Queens of Combat. I don't think it was I don't think it was five dollar wrestling or a freight train show. But I had a referee he like landed wrong and like hurt his knee and he fell down and he threw the X up for himself. Wow. Wow. I, fucking, I was like, of course you fucking mark. You put him a throw of a fucking X. Fuck that. Like everybody knows what that fucking means. I hope you're, all you're the wrestlers just immediately laughed at him. I laughed. I laughed at the fucking camera man. And he's just he's just throwing up the X like fucking holding hold his fucking leg and shit like that. Like that fucking just be like, hey man, I'm fucking hurt. For real. You know, just like don't have to like if he's, somebody's really fucking hurt, like, what are you throwing the X? What the fuck off? You're going to do that at an indie show in front of, like, a hundred people? Just run in the back and make, hey, he's really fucked up. Go get hope now. Like, you don't throw the, you throw the X up because you're looking right at the fucking monitor and the hard camera because they have walkie-talkies to disperse somebody from the ambulance to get out there or the medical staff. That's why they throw the fucking X up. But when you are literally, like, ten feet away from the curtain where possible medical staff is, fuck you, just go get them. Don't throw up the fucking X because nobody's 
Please fucking pay attention to your fucking ex being thrown in the fucking air. We love all referees. Is that what we're saying? You're, you're about to get a strike from the referee. Yeah, no more man's cow matches. They're a minority. We respect them too. So uh, after the SummerSlam match, it was more episodes of Raw and Wrestling Challenge. But by October of 93, Kurt's back was once again too injured to go. He'd be back at WrestleMania 10 on March 20th, 94, where he was a special guest ref for the WWF Championship match between Lex Luger and Yokozuna. We talked about this match on Yoko's episode. It was uh, Lex manhandling perfect after he was doing the right thing and checking on Cornette and Fuji, who were knocked out in the ring. Kurt DQ'd Lex for putting his hands on a ref and was once again a bad guy. Shout out to Mr. Perfect, not just a ref shirt, but ref pajamas. <laughs> well, I love them fucking Zubas, man. <laughs> fucking love them. Well, and why not? Because I was uh, uh, the Road Warriors. That was their company, was Zubas. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Fuck, that, they, must, they got a lot of money off that, right? Oh, yeah. If you, a- if, you, if you see Animal, he's. I, I just saw him at, at WrestleCade, and uh, he had a, an entire like carry-on bag or a check bag full yeah. of Zubaz pants. I almost bought some. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see any patterns that it kind of like 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 spoke to me. Also, too, there's a lot of fucking good brothers that uh, still wear them. I think we're about two years away from the, that fucking phase getting over and and away. Uh, like like as soon as the good brothers like they had their fun with fucking Zubaz and the fucking fanny packs. Like that's still around, <laughs> but that's they've kind of already fucking poked their fun at it and had their look at me brother I'm the, fuck off all right like i'm, I'm that's almost kind of done i'm a, probably about five years away from fanny packs being done with them so like as soon as that happens i will have a fanny pack and i'll have zubas when everybody's already fucking oh, look at me brother i'm just like those 80 wrestlers no motherfucker i'm wearing this because it's comfortable and it's fucking reliable yeah that's um, what people don't understand you hit a certain age you don't care but there's also <laughs> but speaking of not caring in zubas there's a there's a story of Gosh, I think I, I want to say it was Kurt who had the Zubas. He was wearing them. And, of course, you know, Kurt's a ribber, but somebody decided they were going to rib Kurt. And Kurt, like, he had this big, like, hockey bag. And that's where, he, you know, he, this is before the rolly bags. Right. And even in the era of rolly bags, I don't think he had ever a rolly bag. <laughs> Kurt doesn't uh, seem like a rolly no, bag. No, guy. but he had a big hockey bag. That's where he, like, <clears throat> that's what he would put he had to bring on the plane with him. So he had a big hockey like duffel bag, kind of like what I kind of like got sitting right fucking right there, like two feet away from where our microphones are. And um, so he, he was, you know, trying to squeeze in the overhead compartment. And then one of the wrestlers, uh, just as a fucking goof, pulled fucking Kurt Zubaz on because they're on a flight and he's wearing Zubaz. This is before dress code, so he just they just pulled the fucking Zubaz down. What they didn't realize though is Kurt doesn't wear any underwear, <laughs> especially when wearing Zubaz. And the person, the person was uh, pulling him down was on the backside of Kurt. So when they were pulling him down, there was a person sitting in the aisle <laughs> seat. Nice. Here's a penis. Who's basically <laughs> already was uncomfortable because this big wrestler is trying to jam this bag in the overhead compartment. And now all of a sudden, his penis is clearly in front of him. Like there was there was Zubaz and then there was penis. Now there's no Zubaz. There's just a strict Mr. Perfect dick in, in front of this guy's face. And you'd think that if that happened, like, oh, shit. Oh, Kurt's just like, no, nah, I'm going to keep fucking with this bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get this bag in and then I'm going to pull my pants up. Not caring, not giving a fuck. I'll get this bag and I'll fix my pants in a second. Excuse me, sir. After WrestleMania 10, 
they were going to use this to build another feud with Lex Luger, playing off their previous year's WrestleMania 9 match. However, these plans were scrapped after Kurt's back problems flared up again, and Kurt Henning would not have another match until 1997. He'd take some time off to recover, once again cash in on that good-ass Lloyds of London money, and he'd take his job back as a commentator, first at Survivor Series 95, and then he would take Jerry Lawler's spot on Superstars, as well as calling various pay-per-views. What are you guys' opinion on Mr. Perfect on commentary? He was really good with that pencil toss. Yeah, he, was. he nailed it every time. Every I don't think he dropped it once. Yeah, and I, I remember watching the the pay per view where he was announced as the special guest uh, commentator. Like I, I like I remember like it, like the pay per view started and, and they're like, and now special guest commentator. Mr. Perfect. He came out in the fucking jacket and said sequence with yeah. perfect on yeah. it. Uh, I like as a fi- and as a kid, like I had remembered a good portion of Mr. Perfect's early early run with the WWF and WWE right there and then see him come come back like oh and it was always that excitement like he's he's gonna get in the ring eventually he's gonna get in the ring eventually but like it was just it was super fucking cool it made me it made me super fucking happy as a child when it happened and I saw it live when it first happened one thing I would definitely check out Look up Stone Cold and Mr. Perfect on commentary versus Savio Vega versus Salvatore Sensor or whatever his name was. Salvatore Sensor and put some fucking respect on Tom Brady's <laughs> name, okay? I've, I don't I've, know how to say it. How I've can I let put you respect fucking, on I've, it? I've let you fucking slide on some people, but if you want me to fucking come in and tell you to show some respect for Tom Brandy, I will fucking be that person. I forgot to bury Jumpin' Jim Brunzel earlier in the nah, episode. Okay. That's <laughs> Fuck him. Fuck him. He's, Shit. he's doing fine. I mean, he's also a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, much, much like I am, but, you know, whatever. Well, that's trivia. You don't get anywhere else. Um but yeah, look up Stone Cold and Mr. Perfect on commentary. It's one of those where Stone Cold does a guest sit in, and then obviously Mr. Perfect and Stone Cold have words, but they they they, they jaw back and forth for this entire match. They eventually get up in each other's face because this is early Stone Cold before he was totally over. It's when he's still feuding with Brett. But man, just them jabbering back and forth and the testosterone going nose to nose and JRs in the middle. I'm like, fellas, fellas, please. Oh, f- it, it's 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 a great fucking segment. You gotta look it up. It's on YouTube. Do it, do it. Fucking early Stone Cold, like when he's just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like him, like like attacking people in the it TV comes, studio. Almost, it feels there's, like there's, a shoot. He buries Mr. Perfect. You're like, oh shit. Like there, there is a, there's like a, there's a YouTube clip floating around that like was coming out of like just Stone Cold just being a fucking animal, like, <laughs> like not even a fucking human being that's recognized, just being a fucking animal, like coming into like, like I'm a fucking heel and, but he's getting over. He's like, well, I'll be more of a fucking <laughs> asshole. Like, and it just gets to this, this such fucking level of just fucking craziness. <laughs> it's just, it's so fucking awesome. Just how over over the top and he hadn't like figured out the right. pitch yeah. of Stone Cold Steve Austin but like it's like just like he's just beating people up in the studio for like what's got what goddamn what's wrong with the fucking lights get the fuck out of my face what are these papers in your hand for you moron like just <laughs> insane yeah just over that. the top like there's there's a YouTube that's just like a mashup of all of those it's <laughs> I laugh my fucking ass off every time I see it. 
In mid-1996, it was once again time for Mr. Perfect to attempt a comeback, and that's when Henning would get involved with the game. Dun, 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 dun. So Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh, used to bring a different lady to the ring with him every match. They did an angle where Mr. Perfect would come down and steal her, usually causing trips to get distracted, getting rolled up or whatever. Hey, Nick, you said angle without Kurt in front of it. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> While having the uh, Triple H rivalry, Perfect helped Mark Marrow in winning the Intercontinental Championship from Farouk. All this built up to Monday Night Raw, October 21st, 1996, when Mr. Perfect was booked to make his comeback against Triple H. But before the match, Mr. Perfect was attacked by Hunter Hearst Helmsley backstage when he rammed Kurt's knee with one of those rolly luggage things. I don't know. What yeah, I, I, I was trying to put it in my notes and I couldn't figure yeah. out <laughs> right what what is this fucking thing exactly. So before their scheduled match, Hunter comes down to the ring, followed by Perfect, who is joined by Mark Marrow, Sable, and Commissioner Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla says that Perfect is under doctor's orders not to wrestle, so Mr. Perfect suggests Marrow take his place. Hunter says he'll do it as long as Mark puts up the title. He does, and Perfect gets on commentary. At the end of the match, there's a ref bump, which gives Hunter an opening to grab a chair. Perfect flies into the ring and takes the chair. But just when you thought Perfect was going to save the day, we find out that the whole thing was a con, a fraud, a swindle, a downright imposition. What? Perfect cracks Marrow with the chair. No. Triple H hits a pedigree. Uh. Uno dos trace. (laughs) And is awarded the Intercontinental title, and more importantly, a hug from Mr. Perfect himself. It's a hoax. It was a perfect hoax. (laughs) It was a plot. Much like the government had a plot to lock me up forever (laughs) and keep me from running a billion-dollar industry. (laughs) But unfortunately... Vince, 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 dude, we're on air. (laughs) All the more reason for me to. Let's bring Tris Stratus out here a couple years early and make her strip down. So I'd be like, this is what every politician does. Cut the truck, cut the truck. (laughs) Following this, Perfect would start being Helmsley's corner man, but in just a couple of weeks, Mr. Perfect would leave the WWF. So, apparently, WWF had fucked with Kurt's insurance policy either directly by sending them a memo narking on him or indirectly with Lloyds of London snooping around hearing the rumors of Kurt's return. All that happened as Vince and Kurt were in contract discussions already having a lot of trouble agreeing on money. And sadly, one of the the biggest things we missed out of is that Kurt didn't get to continue in the Milton Bradley Karate Fighters Holiday Tournament, (laughs) which is basically a Rock'em Sock'em Robots thing that existed back then. Kurt won the first round against Phineas Godwin when he distracted him by saying, Hey, Phineas, look over there. It's Dolly Parton. As soon as Phineas looked for Dolly Parton, Kurt hit the button, kicked uh, Phineas's fighter's head off, and he moved on to the second round, but we'll never know. I'm sure Kurt would have won the whole thing, but instead, Sonny won the fucking tournament. Yeah. Well, I mean, she slept with Doc Hendricks. To win it, so. <laughs> she was in it to win it, kids. With contract negotiations breaking down between Kurt and Vince, he began talking with Eric Bischoff and WCW, who apparently offered him $750,000. This led to Kurt no-showing some autograph sessions, a Hall of Fame dinner, and the 96 Survivor Series. Uh, With both sides not willing to work it out, Kurt waited out his WWF contract and went on to work for WCW. 
Kurt Henning signed with WCW mid-97 and would debut on the tail end of June 30th, 97's episode of Monday Nitro. For the main event, Lex Luger, The Giant, and DDP were facing the NWO's Hall Nash and Macho Man in a big old clusterfuck of a match. NWO comes down to interfere. In the chaos, Emo Sting drops down from the ceiling. Was it the real Sting? Was it the fake Sting? Does it fucking matter? This is WCW, a place where mankind's dreams have been ravished by depravity and left to toil in the vast darkness beneath the crushing weight of misery. WCW, where God himself has turned his back on the forlorn masses. In this insatiable pit of despair, over the stench of rot and the blood-curdling yelps of the dam, there is but one maddening unwavering sound echoing from the dank musty walls like the tick of a clock counting down the seconds to our cold heartless demise bro 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 thank you for dostoevsky and hp lovecraft writing the tv guide summary for wcw <laughs> monday night nitro i thought you were gonna burst out of the wcw nitro thing <laughs> We're live in the Mall of America. I'm Eric Bischoff. This is Steve Mongo McMichaels. I'm joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan as well. Welcome everybody to WCW Nitro. We're going to cut in for a live Nitro party. Look at them having fun with their Papa John's. <laughs> oh, we, who do we got showing up to the building right as the show goes on air? Because that's just something that happens. People, we don't have a curfew call even though we're filming a live television broadcast. And these people have been here all day. They're now pulling up in a white Hummer. <laughs> As as the chaos was was going on, Kurt walks down the fucking uh, ramp as the harbinger of the downtrodden. Tony Schiavone hits us with a sorry fans, we're all out of time. It is uh, when I rewatched this. It is definitely one of the best chaotic nitro end of Schiavone's. We gotta go because yeah. like you get Sting coming down whipping ass. Kurt shows up for the first time, and then Raven jumps the guardrail yeah, to square, yeah, yeah. To square it's, off it's with Scott Hall. Mayhem. It's like, there's too many fucking people to comprehend. <laughs> and then it's just showing, he's like, yeah, it's about to get good. We're off. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Shivani's got his, it's Sting! <laughs> Is it Sting? Is it sure Sting? I'm not sure Sting. Oh my gosh, it's, it's Raven! We're all out of time, folks. Vincent got death dropped. We're out of here. I always thought it'd be funny is like, you know, they're doing all this shit on TV and as soon as they cut the air, they just stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kayfabe is out the door. All right, guys, we're clear. Uh, uh, <sighs> and they all flip off the fans as they walk out. <laughs> so uh, Kurt Henning's first match with the company took place at 97's Bash at the Beach, a pay-per-view headlined by Lex Luger and the Giant taking on Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Uh, you said it like it was yep. the normalest thing in the world. <laughs> DDP had been teasing a mystery partner for his match with Hall and Macho Man, and guess who it was? Who? It was Kurt Henning. Favorite little moment of this? Kurt comes out, and they're like, uh, Shivani's like, I, I can't tell who it is. And he goes, it's Kurt. Henning! <laughs> like, he doesn't, he, he, like, he, he realizes it is, but he doesn't get excited till the second, <laughs> his last name. It, it's like, it's Shivani kind of, like, brain farting, but it, it's gorgeous. Well, he might have been saying, trying to say Kurt Angle, which is like Nick <laughs> has last couple, uh, uh, last couple intros. Oh, and some see, segments. now you gotta leave the yeah, screw ups in because now the sense. jokes fall. Yeah, yeah. Buried, you know how. Buried, yeah. buried. <laughs> so Scott Hall gets tagged in with Kurt. So I think that's a cool moment. We have them facing off in yet another company. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's true. For Kurt's first match in literal years, he looked fucking awesome. He, he did. moved good. It looked like he never took a day off. 
Towards the end of the match, they were trying to do a spot where DDP holds down the rope and Macho throws Kurt over and falls out, you know, causes a beef, but Kurt didn't quite make it over. So Macho like just kicked him to the outside and Kurt just snaps and clubs the shit out of DDP. It's like they tried to play it since he was holding the ropes, he couldn't bounce, so they just hurt his back yeah. <laughs> or something. It's weird. And with this, Kurt Henning, he was officially back in the game. He'd head into 97's Road Wild to take on DDP, where he won with his new and improved Henning Plex. Then it was time for his first real angle. The NWO and the Four Horsemen would both try to recruit Kurt, with Kurt deciding to go with the Horsemen, taking the spot of the retiring Arn Anderson. Not just a spot, Nick. My spot. Well, and it's it's so weird is that, like... They didn't know really for sure what Arn Anderson's future was at the time, and they were doing this whole angle like, "Is Arn going to come back? Right. Is he not?" And then like, "Okay, it's pretty pretty for sure and clear that he's not not coming back." So we're <clears> going <throat> to put Kurt in this spot, and it's in Arn is going to cut this amazing promo, this real professional wrestling moment, and then we're just going to fucking shit all over yeah. that, and we're going to fucking ruin it at War Games, and uh, there's going to be no hope for the Four Horsemen or the good guys in the world, even though we just had this big emotional high. We're going to take that all fucking away and then not give any return for all of this emotion that's been put out into the world, and I, and I know it wasn't planned that way, but it was something real, and you could have... They could have been the building block to something else, but it's just like, we built this, we're going to knock this down, and we're never, ever going to come back to what this emotion was, and we're just, and it's an emotion that people still remember and think about to this day, but we're never going to come back to it, we're never acknowledge it really happened, because we're just going to knock the shit over, and I know we're just trying to keep the NWO strong, but can't we just, like build something else off of this it's just like no we'll just fucking nothing fuck it yeah. fuck you and fuck you for watching why have legitimate conflict against one team against another who you really think could maybe defeat them when you can just build one team up so much that no, the other nothing else matters yeah it's just like wh- 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 like conflict competition one strong villain one strong hero why do you not try to create that you just whatever we'll fucking well, well they weren't going to but it, it fell in their lap and, and and I get that you your plans and where you were going and there were a lot of things moving and there were a lot of pieces. It just I've heard Eric Bischoff talk about it before. I've talked about Arn talk about it before. Well, Arn said that he didn't know till the day of it, War Games it, too. That's what's fucking yeah. Insane. And it just it's like you know, man, like <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta recognize how special that moment was and you gotta think like okay, well we need to change a little bit of course here. Like we need to. I'm saying I'm not saying that they, you don't turn Kurt and I'm not saying you don't fucking um, do what you did at War Games, but Maybe you have some sort of comeuppance for Kurt yeah. for him turning his back. I mean, if not for the NWO, but maybe Kurt, you know, like get some sort of retribution for what happened. Which I, at the same time, too, Flair is leaving, too. So yeah, there right. is that problem thing. But, you know, you still got Dean. You still got Chris. You know, why can't Kurt get his comeuppance with either one of those? With, with Arn in the corner or something something to make it special to not just be like, yeah, we had this really genuine moment with Arn Anderson handing the spot to Kurt and Kurt just threw it in the fucking trash, which makes him as a fucking heel right away. Yep. But where's, where's that baby face comeuppance? Arn talks about it. And I just feel like you, you have a strong four horsemen for the first time in a while, and it's just that force, that energy finally going up against the NWO. You finally, that'd be something to tune into. Like another strong faction to really go at him, and it's just like, nah, go fuck yourself. Well, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a pro- like me. I know, I know. I, I don't have a problem with them fucking you that hard. But if you're gonna fuck somebody that hard, there better be a big fucking return. Yeah, right. And there wasn't. 
So, true. And, uh, to catch anyone up that doesn't know, this is uh, Fall Brawl 97 in Winston-Salem, where Kurt and the Horsemen would take on the NWO's Nash, Bagwell, Conan, and Six, who I once dog-set Lula for. Once? Like you didn't do a good enough job, so you don't get to do it anymore? <laughs> and this is the big swerve that a lot of people say killed uh, Winston-Salem forever, <laughs> yeah. where uh, Kurt cracks open Ric Flair's noggin with the cage door. I mean, I will give it to it. I remember watching this live. This was, I think, because I think Road Wild 97 was my first WCW pay-per-view getting back into it. And then I remember watching this. And when this all went down, this was one of those moments where it was just like, oh, my young, fragile mind. It's like, oh, shit. No, no. Like, you, you felt like you were watching something special, even though it was terrible. Rewatching it, it was still kind of traumatic. But fuck, they, they, they could have done something really special. So the next night on Monday Nitro in Charlotte, Kurt would come out to that good-ass NWO music and challenge Mongo for the U.S. title. Kurt goes straight for Mongo's injured knee, which he had nine knee surgeries on in the NFL, and that's how many times 50 Cent got shot. <laughs> uh, End of trivia from Nicholas Olesa. I uh, finally said, are you uh, happy? Uh, yeah, it sounds weird coming out. Don't call me that anymore. <laughs> Mongo goes for a football tackle, but wrong sport, you dumb bitch. Uh, <laughs> Kurt dives out of the way. At <laughs> a, a hitting plex later, we have a new, 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 new champion of the colonies. And it's great. It's basically Tony's like, oh, God. Oh, God. We're off there. It is just over. <laughs> Jake's you in dumb, recovery. You dumb bitch. <laughs> Who's an apologist for Mongo now, Jake? Yeah. <laughs> Laughing at his dumb ass. <laughs> My goal is to pop Jake once an episode, and I finally I got him. Yep. And this one actually stays in on, like, the last one. <laughs> the last ten. The last ten. <laughs> it's very problematic. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. That, not, that would not be good. No. You dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Kurt would hold on to the title for about three months, stopping off at September 29th Nitro to perfectplex the fucking giant. And Kurt, who is one of the biggest hills in the world at the moment because he had just murdered Ric Flair, gets a pop from it because it's just that fucking cool. It, it is a spectacle. It's not just like, oh, he did it. He nailed the shit it's out of it. It perfect is flawless. Yeah, yeah, I mean, goddamn puns. We had too much room for puns on these episodes. But it is flawless. It is seamless. He, he, he moves him over like it's nothing. And then he gets the pop on the move, and then he gets the giant gets a pop on kicking out of it. He, it's, he, it's gorgeous. The, almost equally as cool. The fucking big show kips up after. <laughs> yeah, like, like it was like he's a hundred and twenty pounder. It was fucking nuts. Good shit. He'd also go to Halloween Havoc and get a DQ win over Ric Flair. The DQ is when uh, Flair wraps his U.S. belt around Henning's head while he's in the tree of woe and stomps the shit out of his face. I give points for that spot. Never seen that one before. <laughs> He'd meet Flair once again at World War III, this time in a no-DQ match, and they brawl all over the arena. Rick eventually crushes Kurt's leg between a chair and the title, but that allowed Kurt to be able to reach the title while he was in the figure four, who he knocks Flair out with it and covers him for the win. Kurt's U.S. title run would come to an end at Starcate 97 when he ate a big old diamond cutter from DDP. Goddamn, the diamond cutter was over. 
In the fall of 97, Kurt was joined by his childhood best friend, Rick Rude, in the NWO. But at this point, <clears throat> NWO and WCW basically just was getting swallowed up, so Kurt and Rick would team up and do their best to stay afloat in 98. Kurt kicked off 98, feuding with the Hart Foundation, uh, facing Bret Hart at 98's Uncensored, taking the L to the sharpshooter. And just to put things in perspective, SummerSlam 91, four stars from old David, which is honestly too low. Yeah, Uncensored got is. two and a it half is. stars, which is honestly too high. <laughs> you nailed that, Dick. Well done. The next pay-per-view, Kurt would beat the British Bulldog at Spring Stampede in less than five minutes with Rick Root comedically handcuffed to Jim the Anvil Nyhart. In mid-98, Kurt would once again take time off with an injury, and while he was gone, the NWO split into red and white. Henning and Rude would join Wolfpack, which at the time was a face faction. I forgot all this stuff. <laughs> but, uh, I could have sworn they were on NW Hollywood. Like I thought they were on the white and black, and I thought they were white and black for life. I thought they were on Latino World Order. That's because you're all about to fucking get swerved. Rude and Kurt, never one for commitment or babyfacery, turned on fellow Wolfpack member Conan after his loss to Goldberg at Great American Bash 90. <laughs> just, just the thing you said is funny. Now back in NWO Hollywood. It's so exhausting. Kurt got a world title shot at Bill Goldberg at Bash at the Beach 98, a pay-per-view headlined by Hulk Hogan and Dennis Shodman versus DDP and Carl Malone, who for some fucking reason didn't have the basic goddamn human decency to give us an actual mailman gimmick. Yeah, right? And I know wrestling's fake, but do you expect me to believe Carl Malone could be in a tag team with anyone besides John Stockton? Kiss my ass. <laughs> he's got the he's got his mailman bag. He reaches into the mailman bag. What does he pull out? A fist, and he punches you right <laughs> in the fucking face. His finisher could have been called going postal. There's just so <laughs> many, so many things. That's an ECW Carl Malone <laughs> finisher name. But instead he's just a black DDP. Like that's just basically like Two guys without NBA Finals wins. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's that. That's their name. No, no NBA's final wins. Yeah, I like that. I actually believe it or not, this pay per view, I watched with my high school basketball coach at his house. <laughs> just, just him, Jake. Uh, no, his son uh, was a big wrestling fan as well, so he invited me over. But I remember old Bob Miller just being like, Whoa, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I, remember, I remember. He was unimpressed with every, with the wrestling, and he was just as unimpressed with the basketball players that were doing professional wrestling. I remember watching Sports Center the night this went down, and all the fucking elitist Sports Center commentators shitting on Carl Malone for. <laughs> Doing pro wrestling and just thinking, you guys are just assholes. Yeah. <laughs> and now they cover it. Yeah, man. right? You fucking. Uh, the weirdest part about watching that match is they're like fucking talking about like rebounding stats and shit on commentary. I'm like, what are you doing? He's in a wrist lock right now and he's like the leading NBA rebounder. Wait a minute. Fucking Jim Rostin commented yeah. with WCW at that time. It wasn't he, he was talking about how many tackles and sacks somebody got on the other network. That would be good though. Hey, hey JR, I think he played basketball. Oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't do. Basketball. He has on scholarship for basketball at uh, University of Tennessee, and that's a whole, all he'll ever say about yeah, basketball. Yeah. Right. But he'll he'll get down right. to the nitty gritty. I'm what, a pigskin man. Yeah. So anyway, a bash at the beach. Uh, Kurt took on Goldberg in a three minute and fifty second match. That's called a Goldberg Broadway, baby. <laughs> 
I actually felt like Kurt had a chance. I thought I was gonna see like a ten minute Goldberg when he smashes the leg with he does the little. Uh... I did. I, I don't know. I just coming into it. I'm like, I th- you know, oh, I, going into it. I, I, I think I think Kurt Hennig's gonna get a good match <laughs> out of Goldberg, and then they just did him like that. And I'm like, ooh, fuck, well, that was. Uh, he got not over good. three minutes, which does that something? mean? Uh, uh, spoiler: Kurt loses. Uh. Uh, in the fall of '98, Henning began feuding with the Horseman Dean Malenko. Kurt and Rick Rude would head over to, to Fall Brawl to face Dean, and Dean tries to win the match with a perfect plex, but it gets broken up by Rick Rude for the DQ. And in this match, Kurt is wearing a very heavy knee brace, and he's moving pretty gingerly. I'm not sure how much of that was selling, how much of that was shoot, but after this match, Kurt would take more time off TV to recover from his knee injury. Kurt would be back to re-up his feud with Flair at Starrcade 98, where he helped Bischoff beat Ric Flair by sliding him some brass knuckles. Henning then joined forces with Barry Windham to take on Flair and his son David, who was making his wrestling debut at Sold Out 99. Kurt takes the pin from David Flair after Arn Anderson hits him with a tire iron. <laughs> so in 99, the finger poke of doom happened. <clears throat> NWO reunited. There was an unofficial B team, which Kurt Kayfabe and likely Shoot was salty about. So the NWO beat him up at an airport. Uh, the best moment in this uh, little angle is they start beating the shit out of Kurt. And Brian Adams is like, why are you beating up Kurt? He's like a brother to us. Why are you doing this? And then Nash just goes, just business. And then t- 10 seconds later, Brian Adams is beating the shit out of Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. God damn it, motherfucker. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's fucking hilarious. There's, it's actually uh, there's a YouTube comment that brings it up. I'm not yeah. fucking. I wouldn't a brilliant spot, <laughs> but go back and watch it, and it, it's it's beautiful. Brian is just so upset, and then he it just one word's like oh. So free from the shackles of the NWO, Kurt officially became a tag team with Barry Windham, and they were placed in a double elimination tournament for the vacant WCW Tag Team Championships. They'd face the Four Horsemen, Dean Malenko, and tag team partner Redacted at. Super Brawl 9. So entering the match, the Horsemen had already lost once while Perfect and Wyndham were undefeated. That meant Kurt's team had to lose twice and the Horsemen once. Malenko tapped Barry with the Texas Cloverleaf, which right away sent them into match number two. While the ref was trying to regain order and get the guys into a rest period, Wyndham choked the fuck out of Team Malenko with his pants belt. They pinned him to end the second match, making Kurt... And Barry, WCW champion. So that's two belts for Kurt and WCW. That's, that's pretty, pretty solid. solid. Henning and Wyndham held the tag team titles for about a month before they lost them to Malenko and Chris. In a uh, lumberjack match, the following month at Uncensored, after Arn Anderson once again hit Kurt with a tire iron. Good. At, at some point, you have to turn to Arn Anderson and be like, dude, I'm not a fucking car. Well, I'm real sorry to hear that, but you don't. <laughs> You don't like being referred to as a car tire. <laughs> See, I just, I'm very upset about that. I, I've got a bit of a reputation that when the double A enforcer Arn Anderson comes to the ring with a tire iron, I'll just be swinging it carelessly. <laughs> Maybe you'll be in the way of that tire iron. Maybe you won't. It's just you'll never know. You'll never see it coming. So I'd keep I'd keep my head on a swivel if I was you. Double A, you might even call me Triple A. <laughs> so now we get to the part the people paid their money to hear about. We charge for this, right? Mm-hmm. 
May of 99, Kurt Henning formed the West Texas Rednecks with Bobby Duncan Jr., Barry, and Kendall Windham, which was one of Kurt's favorite runs of his career. He uh, always wanted to do that cowboy gimmick, man. This led to a feud with rap music itself. So Kurt was on commentary during a Nitro when he said he hated a commercial Conan was in due to the rap music in it because rap is what? <laughs> Crap! Yeah. This led to Conan coming down and fighting with Kurt. In the following weeks, Kurt and friends would uh, once again get into it with Conan and an unmasked 13-year-old Rey Mysterio Jr., uh, <laughs> leading to a match between Kurt and Bobby Duncan taking on Conan and Rey at 99's Great American Bash. So the pay-per-view starts with famed 90s rapper and former Charlotte Hornet, Master P. If you weren't going to say it, I was going to be really pissed <laughs> off at you. Uh, getting out of his limo with his posse, they're greeted by Kurt, who says the words, Bowdy, Bowdy. Uh-huh. Uh, Kurt says he's a big fan, asks for an autograph, so Master P signs a CD for him, which Kurt breaks. Because <laughs> he knew how worthless CDs were in the future. <laughs> he was a psychic. Uh, and later that night, Kurt would come out to his new theme music, Rap is Crap, a song written by Jimmy Hart, performed by Kurt, and actually got some airplay on country music stations. That just wasn't kayfabe. That's a goddamn rap, baby. I just wrote another hit song. Remember me? I was back in the gingers. And oh, baby, I, I wrote this once for you, Kurt. Oh, it's very, very clever. Listen, it's just, rap is crap. <laughs> So uh, Great American Bash starts out with Master P and the No Limit Soldiers in the front row. Uh, Tony Schiavone accidentally calls him mm. Mr. P at one point, and I bet he was like, please, Mr. P is my father. <laughs> there you go. So uh, Barry Windham comes down. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so Barry Windham comes down to interfere. So uh, No Limit Soldier Swole, who was pro wrestler Randy Thornton, trained by Brad Riggins, uh, jumps the railing. He nails Duncan, <clears throat> causing him to get pinned by Ray Mysterio up past his bedtime. And what a time to attack rap music. Yeah, like Kurt obviously was was waiting for the proper time. Like if he tried to attack rap music during the time of NWA or even LL Cool J, Cool Modi. You did. You, you did. <laughs> it's not it, it, uh, Pac, Biggie, but we're already removed from that. Like he's fighting the maces of the world. He's fighting. I mean, he could probably stop a very early Nelly if possible. <laughs> like or, and Ja Rule. Like he's he's he could snuff it all out right here. This is the most crucial time of I rap think music. Mystical might have fucked him up though. <laughs> uh, mystical was a little bit later. This is this That's is the optimal. This, this is the optimal time. This is, time. This is, this is, is the money. optimal time Don't to attack this. <laughs> rap music. This is the optimal time. Less than a month later, the Rednecks lost to the No Limit Soldiers once again in an elimination tag team matchup at Bash at the Beach 99. Conan, Rey Mysterio, Swole, and B.A. would face the West Texas Rednecks. And this is obviously the legendary eight-star match you always hear about. Kurt is the last man standing against Ray and Swole, taking the pin from Mysterio after he swan dives off Swole's shoulder. It was actually a cool spot. My highlight of the match is when it begins and there's a drunk redneck right next to the mic camera screaming, Rap is crap! Rap is crap! <laughs> that and Conan wearing a Tim Hardaway heat jersey. Yeah, I must have brought that up. That, 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 those are my highlights. Tim Hardaway at the best fucking crossover. <laughs> Fuck you, Alan Iverson. <laughs> So the West Texas Rednecks were actually getting fucking over as hell with, yeah. as baby faces with the Southern WCW fans. But instead of just turning the No Limit Soldiers Hill and having an epic feud between two red hot factions, WCW just dropped the angle. The Rednecks make their final pay-per-view appearance at Road Wild, losing to the Revolution in a six-man tag match. Do we know why or just 
because WCW is bad at stuff. Yeah, I mean, no, no. they were like, well, they're supposed to be hills, and <laughs> you guys <laughs> like them. God forbid we sell a bunch of merch. It says wrap scrap on it. From here, Kurt did an angle where if he lost, he had to retire, but he did lose. But swerve, bro, he didn't really have to retire. Shit's crazy. Uh, <laughs> Kurt bounced around, mostly putting over younger guys. The Sean Stasiak perfect one gimmick. Just watch the clip they do of Sean Stasiak trying to set the world record for free throw shooting, and then Kurt beats the shit out <laughs> yes. of him. That's that that's that's the only thing worth the shit. Kurt Henning left WCW after his contract expired in the summer of two thousand. Um, with some newfound free time, Kurt caught up with his friends and his family. Did a lot of golfing and hunting and fishing, which he loved to do. He also had a big hand in training Brock Lesnar. He'd travel the world wrestling, doing the normal stuff, like wrestling Dennis Rodman one-on-one in an Australian Outback match for the I-Generation World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the best part of this, uh, they recorded it in July and it aired in December. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get them. Well, it's, it's the rights and like the, the people that put it on were like these big music producers. I believe it was the same company that did that uh, Hulk Hogan Australian tour where he wrestled Ric Flair every yeah. night oh, and like the, the video rights to that uh, haven't been released for several years because of that so like that that, that the, the company and the, and the television company that produced it and so like so there's there's an issue with rights and then the legal battle that you have to go through to get that so obviously they probably had to go through that hurdle but this was during the time of that but uh, I love how serious Kurt Henning is and all the angles and the promos that he does for Dennis Rodman and it's just like he's so serious it's so legit <laughs> it's, it's so, so top notch and then he just says Dennis Rodman and like what excuse me that's not wrestling <laughs> <laughs> like, I was up you till the, the the last two words where you, there where you mentioned a basketball player it, it's like it's a goofy match but it's fun to watch it's on it, YouTube right yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I recommend I mean, there, there's a version that's even longer that has a German commentary so if you want to go for true what the fuck watch <laughs> it with German commentary or how did this get booked is one of the early episodes of how did this get booked <laughs> oh shit later that year he went to Puerto Rico where he won uh, World Wrestling Council's title Henning would be part of Excitement Wrestling Federation. Excitement spelt with an X, even though we're not in the 90s anymore. Whoa! Uh, it seemed like a fed full of ex-WCW guys as he'd wrestle Hulk Hogan, Buff Bagwell, and Vampiro. Everybody who didn't get picked up by WWF when WCW closed. That's basically what that promotion was. Jimmy Hart had a big hand in it. I think Brian Knobs had a big hand in it. Yeah, they, uh, they which is probably why it wasn't stuff. successful. It was just <laughs> <laughs> like, who's the most responsible person here of everybody we got? Let's go Brian Knobs. I but, did nasty boy. Like, this was the list I had. Piper, Mean Gene, Shivani, Sable, Vampiro, Hogan, Johnny B. Bass, and Kurt. This is the hodgepodge of... Ugh. And I, th- I think this was one of those guys that got everybody together in a locker room meeting before they had their first ever match or taping and the guy just stood up and said you know we're gonna put Vince McMahon out of business they were this was like during the era where somebody would step up and be like we're gonna put Vince McMahon out of business we haven't done jack shit but we're gonna put him out of business Uh, especially now that WCW is closed we are gonna put him out of business as opposed to just running shows at the Nashville Fairgrounds. you got to admire the balls, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the money that it took to lose. So that promotion went under when WWF bought all their major talent, including Kurt Henning himself, which leads to dot, dot, dot. During the build-up to 2002's Royal Rumble, it was announced that Kurt Henning would be returning. And Mr. Perfect 
entered the Royal Rumble at number 25 as Triple H and Stone Cold were the only two in the ring. And Kurt, again, looked great. He held his own. He fought with Stone Cold before getting tossed out by the eventual winner, Triple H. It was pretty fun. I rewatched it a couple days ago and just seeing the reaction he got, it made me happy. Kurt's performance, along with the positive crowd reaction, got Mr. Perfect a full-time contract with the WWF, which was just months away from becoming the WWE. Kurt would mostly get used to put over young guys. He feuded a little bit with uh, RVD and Stone Cold, which is pretty cool. He hit the Perfect Plex on the Big Show again. Not as well, and Big Show probably not as athletic, but they still hit it. Uh, He beat Brock Lesnar twice on house shows, and the thing that we just never got, he started a feud with Brian Urlacher of the Chicago Bears, and it never came to be. Henning's final TV match of this run would be May 6th edition of Heat, where he beat Tommy Dreamer, because May 7th, 2002, the plane ride from hell happened. Woo! So on the plane ride from hell, apparently there a lot of a lot of drunkness was happening, and it led to Brock Lesnar and Mr. Perfect fucking wrestling each other amateur style on the plane, slamming into the emergency exit, scaring the shit out of everyone post 9/11. It thinks pressurized. It thinks fine. It ain't going anywhere. I think my favorite rumored uh, thing to happen on the plane ride from hell was uh, Michael Hayes, Doc Hendricks attempting to urinate on linda mcmahon's head that was my favorite he still has a job <laughs> no everybody like was it uh hall got fired henning got fired hendrix apparently did all types of shit michael psa has got elevated yeah he's got he's got info <laughs> he's, got to. He, he's got to have blackmail info well, what's funny is i i think we asked rick flair about this and he talked about another trip and like are we talking about oh, a different no. like, oh, so no. like this is oh no this is just the one that like ruined all the fun apparently yeah. there's all kinds of shit and we talked about like kurt's just wanger being out in somebody's face on a commercial flight so can you just imagine a regular fucking plane ride with <laughs> jim danville Nightheart in 2001 what that would have fucking been like <laughs> Following the plane ride from hell, Kurt would be fired from the WWE. Uh, He'd hit the Indies. He won his last wrestling title, defeating Bruno Sassi December 14th for the future of wrestling heavyweight title, a title also held by Loki and Norman Smiley. Two things from Kurt's indie days around here you should check out. Kurt has a match with X-Pac, which at this time he's called Six-Pac. It's just God one two three x six pac kid. I don't know. It's getting ridiculous. But uh, Heenan actually comes out and introduces it. Heenan's at an indie show. He fucks around on the mic. It's one of those small intimate shows with just nothing respect and love. It's a really cool thing to watch. It's on YouTube. But then also one thing I got to put over super fucking hard is uh it's it's just on YouTube titled Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig Shoot Interview. And it's him on this local TV show called Channel Surfing with the host Lisa. It's June 2002. It's right after the plane ride from hell. And it's Kurt just kind of shooting the shit about what he might do after getting fired, what his options are. And it's the host is cool. Kurt is cool as shit. When everybody talks about how warm and fun-spirited and just a good dude Kurt is, it comes across more than anything I did research on and watched. Watch, it's, it's like a 10-minute clip. It's so cool, and it hurts more to see Kurt go, but you got to watch this. It's so damn good. In late 2002, Kurt would make his debut in TNA. The only thing I'm going to say is Kurt gets introduced by Road Dog, who says, We don't live in a perfect world. Oh, do we, baby? He introduces Kurt Henning with a 
Austin Powers impersonation. <laughs> I went back and listened to it twice, and he fucking does it. And that's how far Mike Myers has gotten into society and needs to stop. That's all I got. It's fucking horrible. In TNA, Kurt would work against Jeff Jarrett, Ron Killings, or R Truth, if, if, if you're smart, if you're a smart mark. And C! And uh, he wrestled his last recorded match on January 8th, 2003, defeating David Flair in an axe handle on a pole match. Uh, well, the fact that he his last match is his dad's nickname, kind of sad. In February, Kurt would head to Florida for a match at the Florida State Fair as part of Jimmy Hart's All-Star Wrestling, February 10th, 2003. That match would sadly never happen. On February 10th, 2003, Kurt Henning was found dead in Tampa, Florida in his hotel room at the age of 44. The Hillsborough County Medical Examiners declared it an acute cocaine intoxication as the cause of death. Kurt's death sent brutal shockwaves through the industry. This wasn't some down-and-out wrestler wasting away, hopped up on pills in his last $20. This was Mr. Fucking Perfect. You know, Kurt was in decent shape. He had money. He had a great home life. And even at 44, had tons of upside and potential in wrestling. By all accounts, Kurt loved his beer. He partied some. He smoked some weed. But this seemed to be just a one-off, freak-of-nature, Murphy's Law catastrophe that took one of the greatest wrestlers to ever do it off the planet. This is the weird thing. Um, you probably think that means overdose, and I did too when I first got into it. But, yeah, I think Nick, it's an acute drug cocaine intoxication. And it's basically that you do cocaine in it. Your heart needs so much blood and the blood vessels overreact and there's kind of electrical shock where you go into cardiac arrest and it just kind of just pops the heart. Big for me, sidebar, Lynn Bias, who was uh, going to be one of the best basketball players ever, got drafted second by the Celtics, was going to be basically the next Michael Jordan. And here in the story, Lynn Bias died of the exact same thing. He did, he did cocaine. It wasn't an overdose. It wasn't anything like that. He just did cocaine and it just mixed bad with him and it fucking killed him. And hearing this story at basketball camp when I was, like, 10 years old, like, scared the shit out of me. And that was the best D.A.R.E. program ever. And it's just, Kurt had the same thing. He just, he, I mean, he, it's, it sounds like he was recreational or socially. It, he wasn't, you know, a fiend or the way it comes off. And he just did cocaine one. Just his heart just gave out. And it's just, it's sad that it just can take you that fucking quick. To end on a more positive note, in 2007, Kurt was put in the WWE Hall of Fame. He was introduced by one of his best friends, Wade Boggs, who told the story of how they were on a hunting trip when Wade tried to hop a barbed wire fence. He fell, got his legs tangled. Kurt got him out, carried him Forrest Gump and Bubba style <laughs> back to the truck and got him to a hospital. And the doctor said that Wade would have 100% bled out if Kurt didn't do that. And I don't care what Bret Hart says. Wade Boggs invented the Wolfpack hand sign. <laughs> so fuck you, Bret. Kurt's family accepted the Hall of Fame induction on Kurt's behalf with his wife giving a pretty emotional speech. His parents were there, his children, including Joe Henning, who the kids know as Curtis Axel. Also, Macho Man dedicated a track to Mr. Perfect on his rap CD called <laughs> yeah. Perfect Friend. It was written by Lanny Poffo and is objectively the greatest song ever recorded. It's a pretty good fucking album. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's for for rap album at the time. It fits right in. I, I mean, better than some of the rap albums Master P produced, but I digress. Barry and Master P. So uh, final thoughts on the great, the perfect Kurt Henning. 
in a weird way, Kurt was my first ever heel. I probably started watching around 89, 90 when he was in the big feud with Hogan, just when he was, he was flawless. He was arrogant. Nobody could touch him, but he was perfect. The, the gum slap, the towel, Heenan wiping his brow mid-match, all that stuff. Just like, I, I hate this guy. Why is he, so, he thinks he's so good. He's not so good. I could be that good. And just that first time where you kind of, like, I hated him, but then I, I always wanted to see him. And that was my first really acknowledgement of that these guys are good at this, even though I kind of hate them. That was that was huge to me. I remember Kurt's one of the Mr. Perfect's a big one. My mom still remembers Kurt and Mr. Perfect because when I used to watch then, and that's that's important to me too. A couple of the things you just need to see because I just deep dive into stuff. Uh, Rick Martel does a short shoot where he talks about Kurt's character, how Kurt maybe came off arrogant earlier, but then he thanked Rick Martel for kind of calling him out on his bullshit. That's on YouTube. Last call with Scott Hall. Scott Hall does a Kurt Henning tribute that's really good. You can really feel it. And it, Scott Hall's a funny dude just talking about Kurt and how unselfish Kurt was in the ring. Not just physically of working his ass off and then letting Scott come in eight months green and beat ass. But just on the road, teaching him stuff, spreading his knowledge, which apparently at that time was was people held stuff close to their vest and didn't do it. And apparently Kurt learned that from Piper up in Portland and wanted to pass on knowledge to get everybody else good and uh i'm just gonna close with uh the old genius lanny puffo wrote a really good poem about kurt's death and we're gonna finish on this we remember mr perfect he was always in command his greatness was so obvious that all could understand he brightened up a locker room he made the time go by he had a personality gregarious not shy he really was perfection but now he's gone away. We're lucky to have known him and we'll miss him every day. And as we know, Kurt was a huge fucking country music fan and he loved to sing Merle Haggard at karaoke. So I promise right now to Kurt up in heaven, the next time I get drunk at a karaoke bar, I'm singing some Merle fucking Haggard. When we first started this podcast, you know, I wanted to cover Macho Man and Dusty and Eddie and Tent and Owen Hart. <laughs> But uh, from day one, I've been like building to cover Mr. Perfect, and I, I, you know, I hope it went well. I hope we did him justice. Mr. Perfect was a very important wrestler to me, kind of for the same reasons as as Micah. Like when I was a kid, still real to me, damn it, full Mark mode. Watching Mr. Perfect was the first time I ever saw a bad guy and thought, holy shit, he's like good at pro wrestling, you know, like. It was the first time I ever wanted a hill to win a match. Like he was he was too cool, he was too good, he was too fun. Like whatever it is, whatever charisma is, Kurt had all of it. I don't think I've ever held a small towel in my hand and not thrown it behind my back and caught it. Like from my basketball days to the kitchen towels in restaurant. Uh, I'm more of a mint guy now, but I had a solid like two decades of spitting out my gum and smacking it. Like <laughs> I actually I did it a couple of weeks ago and it still feels very cool. You can't even describe how good Mr. Perfect was. It's like fucking good food or good music. You just have to experience it or you're not you're not going to get it. Like he didn't just have a great drop kick. He had the fucking best drop kick. He he wasn't just a good seller and bumper. He's one of the best like up there with Flair and Harley. Uh, all his matches made sense. Uh, they were smooth. They they flowed. Like sometimes I'll see a stand-up comic do a set and there's no like 
fat on his jokes, not an extra word or a flub line. Like that was Mr. Perfect every match. Like it was a life-changing Conan set that everyone's talking about the next day. Kurt loved spreading knowledge and like putting younger guys over. So he was like helpful for the business. He helped mold Scott Hall and Shawn Michaels. Like um, who knows where they would be without Kurt Henning. He was there to help Triple H in one of the biggest moments of his early career after Triple H had just got buried for the curtain call. You know, Kurt's there to give him a little pop or, you know, be part of the angle at least. He was a bit of a troll in the back, but by all accounts, he was like a good man who loved his family. He was good to his friends. And losing Mr. Perfect put us in a worse version of reality. Like, no, no matter how good wrestling gets, no matter what heights it gets, the work rate, blah, blah, blah. At its absolute peak, with the best workers and the best matches on the best card, pro wrestling will forever be slightly less than what it could have been had Kurt Henning been around to guide it. Of all the episodes we've done, um, you know, I've always done just some sort of form of research or listen to a podcast or a shoot interview, but this is the first one that I've done where I'm like, yeah, I don't need to do any research because Mr. Perfect was so much a part of my life. I much like Nick was just one of those kids that you know, anytime I had a piece of gum in my mouth, you've got to spit it out and, and slap it into the air and just at all aspects of, of my life. There were, there was some sort of thing that Kurt influenced, especially as a wrestler. I, I talked about it in one of the previous podcasts, I believe part one, where I was like, yeah, as a pro wrestler, you know, you want to look at some of the greats and try and figure out what you're going to do. And Kurt Henning was at the top of the list of, of the greats that you watch and you figure out. So a lot of his career, I, I've already seen, experienced, studied, dissected. And it's amazing now with social media and just as we're recording this, like I've, I've been seeing a lot of like gifts of, of Kurt Hennig pop up online, like the, the towel toss to Mr. Hughes and it lands on his shoulder perfectly. Um, him getting an ass whooping from Hulk Hogan and just over the top selling to the umph degree, recognizing this is the golden goose. So you bump like a maniac and a champ for, and I even made reference that like I've had like people who knew me in high school that were like hey uh, did you ever get to wrestle mr perfect and i'm like i i was like a year in when he, when he passed away like that's the timeline doesn't match but I, I just think about like man if the stars and the moons would have aligned and i got to a point where i'm at now and he was still wrestling now i i could only imagine how cool he would be but i i never got to meet him but i, I knew people that have um, and one of those people uh, was Daphne from WCW. And you'd think, you know, Daphne was just a manager of David Flair, probably would have little or no interaction with someone like Kurt and his pedigree. But there, I, I can't remember what the actual bonding moment was, but, I, like, Daphne, I think, did the same sport that Kurt's daughter did or they had a similar or they had a similar knee injury. But for whatever reason, like, Kurt got to be good friends with Daphne and like he would always look after her like hey are they are they taking care of you are they, are they showing you respect are they being being good to you what, what are they doing with you storyline wise like checking in with a young talent making sure everything's going okay in their career and I gotta believe that that's what his place would be in professional wrestling would be some sort of agent writer producer coach whatever they're referring to it now but just somebody's like hey this is what they want to do. These are the kind of the spots, but you know, maybe we can, you know, work it out, make it work. Maybe do this, think about this. You know, they did take it, but also pull you aside and have that conversation. Like, oh, they're taking care of you. Okay. Doing that. And I think one of the more valuable things, well, not valuable, but one of the more fun things that I heard about Mr. Perfect 
um, from Daphne is that um, Kurt's favorite drink of choice was Miller Lite with warm Jack Daniels. Oh, yeah. Which he would uh, take a shot of and he would gargle it so he can get in your system faster. (laughs) So I don't drink uh, like I used to anymore. I, I, I do not. But when I heard that, when I was drinking, I, that was my, that was what I do all the time. <laughs> but if I, if I have like a long weekend and it's, you know, and I'm at a bar and it's like, all right, it's been a long week. I don't need to worry about driving home. And what, what, what do I want to kind of celebrate or get past through the weekend that I just have? I always, it's like, I always want my Kurt Hennig uh, beer and a shot. And I always, I always ask for Jack Daniels warm if possible. And then a Miller Lite and you get gargle the jack and then you shoot it with the miller light and that's that's what that that is my regular bar order if i ever have a bar order it's because of kurt hannig and i and i always think about it i don't know i don't know if i go a month without thinking about him in some way shape or form or something that he's done that's influenced me i'm sure if i dissected probably my in-ring stuff even more there's probably something that's kind of influenced me from him i know i looked at his drop kick extensively over and over again but i'm sure there's something that he's done in his career that's seeped into my dna so there's probably not a day or a week that goes by that he hasn't had some sort of influence on how i've lived my life done my career and most most importantly treated other people because when i hear about stories about how good of a guy he was it it makes me wish i could be that good too in ring and out all right, big thank you to all our Patreon subscribers, all our regular subscribers, too. Uh, if you want to help Tim Bell Pod have a good 2020, head over to patreon.com slash Pod. If you like the show mm. but you're not about to spend money on us three assholes, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, follow us on social media at Tim Bell Pod. Uh, pumping up those numbers helps us just as much as actual money in the long run. I'm Nick Alessa on all the social medias. Mike is jtrotter27. And I want to jump in real quick and throw out a social media feedback opportunity for the people that listen to us. So I was trying to come up with a rap to continue my rap career on Tinville Pod to shit on Kurt because he thinks rap is crap. But I totally didn't come up with anything in time. But uh, I have two lines and I want to see if you guys can come up with something and then send it to us on social media on Twitter facebook or instagram but these are the two lines i have you build on top of these i don't mean to be curt but you're not so perfect i don't know i tried to rhyme perfect and it went terrible so if you can come up with something hit us on social media this is very stupid but we're doing it thank you very much so i'm nicolessa on all the social media micah is apparently nick cannon on social media uh and jake is the men scout manning on all the social media Go watch the goddamn Macho Man Randy Savage Picks the Perfect Partner video. It's the greatest thing ever. I can't put it over enough. I'm going to be annoying about it. There we go. Nick, say something. Uh, Fight the patriarchy. Yeah. I told you motherfuckers to go to Patreon and support those 10 bell pod morons. I'm asking you, take the money and give it at patreon.com for those goofballs because they know that I am the greatest wrestler on God's green earth.